Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading Luke 2, 34 and 35 today as we finish our series looking to Christmas. This is the last Sunday of Advent. Luke 2, 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also. So the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Several years ago, in fact, it was September 2010, to be exact, I received a letter that in many ways changed my life. It was a letter from a soldier, a paratrooper, who at that time was deployed to Afghanistan, and he was writing me from Afghanistan. And I have asked him before, and I asked him again, if I could get his permission to read the letter to you. And I asked him again the other day, and he said yes. His name is Dustin. He's a good friend of my son. And you'll hear him in the letter refer to somebody named Harry. And and that's my son. Here it is. Dear Mr. Mercer, I've had some deep concerns lately, and I know you're a minister, and I was hoping that you could help me put some things into perspective. Harry and I were talking the other night, and it came up that we are saved. And not everyone in the platoon is, and we would feel horrible if something would happen to one of them, knowing that they weren't Christians. But my issue is that sometimes I feel so far away from God here. We don't see our chaplain much and rarely get to go to services. I pray constantly. I pray constantly for our safety, normally several times during every mission. And just driving down the road that is normally littered with IEDs inspires several prayers from me. but I constantly wonder if it's enough. I mean, we're all by nature sinners, and I get that, but being a soldier seems to be so much more difficult. Sometimes we have so much hate in our hearts for the people that we're fighting against. And also, even the locals... We feel like we're trying to help them and they just don't care about even their own futures. So every day, more soldiers are killed for a people that don't appreciate us being here and I blame them for our sacrifices. As you can imagine, being in the infantry, there's a lot of sinning going on. Swearing and impure thoughts and such. And even though I know 
this is wrong, I do it myself. And it makes me wonder if I still have my ticket to heaven. Or if it can be revoked. Oh, I know what I was taught. We're saved by grace. And if none of us had ever sinned, there'd be no reason for Christ to die for us in the first place. But if you know you're sinning, and you don't take immediate action to correct it, does that condemn you? I don't know. I would like to believe that it is normal to question one's morality and humanity in war. And that God understands our predicament because of the circumstances that we're in. But you're always in danger and you just can't help but have doubts about whether you're going to be okay when your time comes. Well, Mr. Mercer, I'd really appreciate any input or advice you could give me. Harry and I are both pretty educated about these things, but sometimes it just helps to get someone's perspective from outside of the sandbox. What do you say? (laughs) After I got over the initial wow reaction, what strikes me today about this letter is the same thing that struck me then about this letter. Here it is. Here's a young man who is asking the most important questions that anybody can ask in life. And he doesn't have the luxury of putting it off. He doesn't have the luxury of saying, after I graduate, after I get a new job, after I get married, after I get a raise, fill in the blank. He's got to know now because it's a matter of life and death. Who am I? What is life about? How do I serve people that don't like me? Can I lose my salvation? How do I live faithfully in a hostile world? He didn't know it, but a few weeks later, his vehicle would be hit by an explosive device. He's fine. He's married, fine. He lives in Texas. He's still in the military. But what a sense of urgency. And I pray that the Lord would give every one of us, even this morning, this day, and this week, the same sense of urgency about the most important questions in life. As we look at this passage today, spend just a few minutes on this passage today, and read it and understand it in the context of the first two chapters of Luke. This passage goes a long, long way toward answering these most important questions. These most profound questions. When Jesus comes at Christmas, our passage tells us today, when Jesus comes at Christmas, He brings with Him division. He brings with Him Suffering. But, and most importantly, 
He brings with Him peace. A peace that we didn't know we could have. A peace that we didn't even know, that many of us didn't know could ever even exist. It's beyond words. He brings division. He brings suffering. He brings peace with Him at Christmas. He brings division. And Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Several years ago, a man wrote a book. His name is Ross Douthit, and he was looking at American, sort of surveying American culture. And the book is called Bad Religion. I know some of you have read it. I recommend it to you. But listen to what he says about America. The United States remains a deeply religious country, and most Americans are still drawing some water from the Christian well. But a growing number are inventing their own versions of what Christianity means. As a result... The Jesus of the New Testament has been replaced with a more congenial figure, a choose-your-own-Jesus who better fits our preconceptions of who He ought to be. And then he goes on and mentions the Da Vinci Code Jesus. Jesus is a mere man. He gets married. He has children. He has a fine life in the suburbs, according to Dan Brown. The Thomas Jefferson Jesus, who's also a mere man. He's very moral. He's a great example. And we should follow him as an example. The dances with wolves Jesus, that we find out in the woods somewhere around the fire. Maybe the Jedi Jesus, that's appropriate for this week. He's out in space somewhere. And maybe we'll find Him someday. On and on and on do we do this to Jesus. But when we look at this passage, Jesus will have none of it. Jesus will have none of it. In fact, Jesus, the real Jesus, is in a very real sense the great divider. When real people, look at the Bible, when real people come face to face with the real Jesus, how do they respond in the Bible? Are they ever apathetic? We'll consider it. I might put you on the calendar. Maybe later. No. People are never indifferent or apathetic when they come into contact with the real Jesus. When they come face to face with the real Jesus, the real grown up Jesus in the Bible. They either fall on their knees, weeping, letting their hair down, washing His feet with their hair and worshiping Him. Or they fear Him. Would you please not talk so much about hell? Would you please not talk about these, give us these stories? Would you please quit working these miracles? In fact, would you please leave town? Or they hate Him. Crucify Him. They plot against Him. Nobody is just indifferent 
or apathetic when they come into contact and face to face with the real Jesus. Listen to Jesus' own words. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No. I tell you, rather, division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Now, these, I didn't write, these are the words of Jesus. In one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Did Jesus come to divide families? That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is Jesus says to them, and He says to us, I call you in the past, I call you in the present, to come to Me. Come to Me. As I have come to you, but you must come to Me on My terms, not yours. I call you to come to Me he calls all of us to come to Him today, now, as He always has done on His terms, not ours. You remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill Him. Why? Because he's looking all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 when God reveals His personal name to Moses at the burning bush. And Jesus is taking that personal name, I Am, this great mysterious name, and He's applying it to Himself. He's saying, I define Myself. I am the standard. I name Myself. I explain Myself. One commentator says, this is the most authentic, audacious, profound affirmation that Jesus ever made about Himself. I am. Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus Christ from the first century to the 21st century have never been persecuted or martyred for saying that Jesus is humble. Jesus is kind. Jesus is loving. They have been persecuted and martyred for saying Jesus is the only answer to your deepest questions. The only place, the only place that you will find the deepest, most profound, wonderful answers that your heart asks is Jesus. It's the only place. The only place. But He demands that we come on His terms, not ours. Now, what about suffering? A little comic relief, maybe. I was driving down the road in my neighborhood just the other day, and I drove by, and I noticed that one of my neighbors was proudly displaying in his window a brand new leg lamp. And there, there it was. I'd never seen it before, and it was a big one. I, I, somebody gave me a few years ago. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably not worth knowing what I'm talking about. Um, ask somebody 
um, it, it, that's got a leg lamp. Somebody actually gave me a leg lamp a few years ago, and I still bring my little leg lamp out with my Charlie Brown Christmas tree every year. We love the traditions. We love the movies. We love all that we do at, at Christmas, all the cheesy stuff that we do, and it's so wonderful. And, you know, every year we watch... Cindy and I watch A Christmas Story and, and White Christmas, and it's just so cheesy and so incredibly wonderful. It's a wonderful life, and Charlie Brown, and, and all, all that. But for some reason, I don't know why, I need to ask my mom, for some reason every year, the Mercers, and we still do it, not as much because we're not all together as much, but we... We, uh, we would watch Sound of Music. Every year we'd watch Sound of I don't really know. It just became a family tradition. We'd watch Sound of Music. And I remember as I got older and begun to understand a little bit more about relationships. And isn't this wonderful? Maria and the captain, you remember they come together and they sing and oh, lots of singing and dancing and all this going on in the Sound of Music. I love this. Now listen to what she says. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. And then what does she sing? So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. In other words... All of these things are happen to me, happening to me. I found the captain. I'm getting married. I have this family. I'm no longer a nun. You know, all these things are happening to me. I must have done something good and God is rewarding me. We've got a bargain. And so many of us live like that. If I just do this, 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 and this, I can slip into this sweet spot and I'll have no trouble. I can slip into this groove and I won't have... I'll be happy all the time. And the happiness will just be unending. And we, we think that. We tend to live like that. Have you noticed in Luke chapters 1 and 2 that, that Mary and Joseph do everything right down to the letter that the Lord tells them to do? Come here. Go here. Do this. Name Him this. Go, go there. They circumcise Jesus on the eighth day. They take Him to the temple. They offer sacrifices. They present Him. They dedicate Him. They do everything the way the Lord tells them to do it. Everything. Right down to the letter. And now, at this time of great celebration and joy and happiness, Simeon, holding the Messiah full of joy and happiness, full of celebration, full of Christmas. Looks at Mary and says, a sword will pierce your soul. She has done everything that God has asked her to do and now suffering is coming. 
Now a prophecy of suffering? What Mary must have thought. And how Mary must have remembered that. Today, she's here somewhere. Uh, Today is my anniversary. Uh, I have been married. I'm the husband of one wife. And uh, we've been married for 34 years today. And as my li- wife likes to say, oh, there she is. As my wife likes to say, it's been, we've been married 34 years. As she likes to say, it's been the best 33 years of our lives. The first year was awful. And it was. Because of me. But one of the highlights of our lives has been children and grandchildren and baptisms. What you saw happen to Thomas today. And when when we brought our firstborn home from the hospital, Hannah, when she was born, we brought her home and after I got over the initial shock, what do I do? And Cindy said, just kind of follow me, I'll show you. Well, what do we do? Well, we got home and we put this little child in the middle of the big queen bed, right in the middle so she wouldn't fall off. She can't move, she can't roll. But put her in the middle anyway, that's the safest spot. And we put her right there and we just stood back and looked at this miracle. No words, just look at the miracle. Who doesn't experience that when looking into the face The eyes of a child. You mothers, you know it. I can see it in your faces. Imagine. Had an old, wise man, respected in the community, come in and said, Cindy, this is really going to hurt. A sword will pierce your soul. And those of you who have been mothers for any length of time whatsoever, you get this. You understand. How much more so Mary. And what does Simeon tell her about this suffering? Virtually nothing. (laughs) She's kind of left in the dark. But what does she do? What do we see her doing later in the chapter, in verse 39? And when they had performed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the festival of Passover. They keep going, keep obeying, keep following, keep looking to God. Now that's something to remember. Here's Mary. She's doing everything the way she's supposed to do. The prophecy is coming of suffering. She's not sure exactly what that is or what it looks like. And she keeps going. Joseph keeps going. How often this sword comes into our lives and it really has two sides, doesn't it? God, when God brings this sword into Mary's life, He brings swords into our lives. How often that sword has two edges, pain and joy. Mary will see her son mocked and abandoned 
and whipped and hanging on a cross. And it will pierce her soul. And she embraces it. She embraces this sword. And Mary, if anybody does this, Mary, maybe Mary, we might be able to put it this way, Mary's the first one who has come to Jesus on his terms and not hers. I don't think she chose those, she would have chosen those terms. That would not have been the goal for the life of her son. But little did she know. But little did she know. Um, another book I would commend to you, it's just a little short book, it's 70 pages, it's called Martin Luther's Christmas Book. It's a wonderful little book. It reads, it's very contemporary. Martin Luther's Christmas Book. You can get it on Kindle, little advertisement, three ninety nine. I want to read a little of Martin Luther's Christmas book. What a congratulation this was to offer a mother of six weeks, what Simeon has just said. He tells her that her, her son will be a sign that is spoken against. First, he blesses the son, then speaks of suffering, and then, and then that all shall be against him. And these words cut like a sword into Mary's heart. What has this little child done, he announces. My Father will be gracious to you, will free you from death, sin, and hell. And how do men respond? They tread Him underfoot and hang Him on a cross. And yet, and yet, Luther says, and yet to me there's no greater consolation given to mankind than this, that Christ should become a man, a child, a babe, playing in the lap of His most gracious mother, who is there whom this sight would not comfort? He has overcome the power of sin and death, hell, conscience, guilt. Come to this babe and believe. Behold Christ lying in the lap of His mother. Look upon the Lord of peace and your spirit will be at peace. You know, the older I get, and I've been a pastor for quite some time now, it seems like the older I get, the less I know. Particularly about suffering. Isn't that true? So often, much of the time, if not most of the time, we just can't explain, unless it's physical, we can have a diagnosis, but we just don't know exactly why we're going through this suffering at this time. Why God is bringing, us, bringing this into our lives, why He's allowing it to happen, we just don't know. But we can know the one who does know. I often put it this way, I, I, I feel like the older I get, the less I know, but the better I know and the greater I know, the one who does know. And I trust Him. My own weak way. I trust Him. What is Mary doing way over in Acts chapter 1, after the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension, what do we see Mary doing? This is beautiful. What do we see Mary doing in Acts chapter 1? 
She's with her family. She's with her friends. She's with the disciples. She's with the church. And she's worshiping. And she's praying. She's still at it. She's still at it. Looking to Jesus on His terms, not hers. Looking to Him in faith. Well, finally... Peace. And here's the good news. What are his terms? Then and now, what are the terms that Jesus brings to all of us? What are the terms that Jesus lays down before every single one of us? What are his terms? His terms are, and we see it in his life, we see it beginning in the Christmas story, his terms are, my life for yours. That's it. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. My life for your... Those are the terms. Those are the terms. You remember the angel's song. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is is pleased. Among those with whom He is pleased. This is a peace that will never leave you. It will last forever. You can't lose it. It doesn't go up and down. And it's the peace we've all been looking for our whole lives. It's the greatest peace song ever sung. It's the greatest peace song ever sung. An army of angels singing about a peace treaty between God and mankind, God and and us, that is written in the blood of Christ. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We're going to sing it in just a minute. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace with us through the blood of the cross. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for He Himself is our peace. He Himself is the answer to all of our deepest, greatest joys, sufferings, happinesses, questions. It's Jesus. My life for yours. Let me close with with this. There was a man um, who I met once years and years ago. He's an old he's an older man now. He's a pastor and a theologian from Britain. And he was a chaplain during World War II, and he ministered to soldiers on the front lines. And he came across a young man one day in his 20s who had been wounded, mortally wounded. He said, this, this changed his life, never forgot it. He said, this young soldier grabbed me by the lapels. And he said, chaplain, is God... Really like Jesus? Is God, now we all know, if you've been a Christian, any like obviously God is Jesus. But what does he say? He's saying, is God really that loving, that kind, that merciful, that sacrificial, that he would do that? 
Is God really that way, that way that He would say, my life for yours? I assured him that God is like Jesus, the only God there is, and God has come down to us, showed us His face, and poured out His love for us as our Savior. And with that, the soldier died. What are your deepest longings, your greatest questions? Are you even asking them? Do you ask them with urgency? And as we go into this week looking at Christmas, we can know that God is really like Jesus. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. And there has never been a love, there's never been a mercy, there's never been a sacrifice like this. And there never will be. He is the answer to every single one of your deepest, greatest, most profound questions. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Thee tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, as we respond to Your Word, we pray that You would come to us and that we would recognize that Your terms are grace. Your terms are free grace. Not somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good. We recognize that You are there for us. And we pray, Lord, that this day, this week, And in the years to come, we would just simply stop fighting and wrestling and rebelling and shaking our fists and calling our own shots. And instead, we would, instead of shaking that fist, we would open that fist and say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I want You, Jesus, because You wanted me first. And You wanted me so badly that You gave everything for me. Even to the point of dying on a cross and conquering my greatest enemies, sin and death. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.